Welcome, everybody. Did you enjoy that new way of starting? First of all, thank you to our sponsors. It's uh, uh, for the circuit, for the championships. This was uh, this time that we thank you very much to all of our sponsors. And then a quite a nostalgic photo. No, it's not nostalgia, is it? Because it's recent, but it's just getting the emotions of this circuit that we love and that we miss. And uh, welcome, therefore, to episode 13. Uh, and hi, Dave Vivian. Thank you for the uh, for the message there. Welcome to Coombe TV. Now, obviously, I'm going to bring in my uh, partner in crime. Hello. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Do you, you liking this new new style? Yeah, it looks very swish, mate. I'd have to say. it's uh, Yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how things are evolving uh, all the time. And, and um, I told, we'll mention Something it again later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The world's gin supply is still going. But... Um, no, I think um, no. It's evolving all the time, and good news as well. We're working on behind the scenes. Don't start. We're working behind the scenes on getting um, a podcast. So um, for those people that were asking, and we're, we're getting there slowly, but it looks like well, it is there. It's just I don't want to talk about it too much. But yeah, hopefully that'll all be up and working. So um, yeah, apologies. I was supposed to look at doing good, a few it? bits, but I've been busy. No, that's fine. No, no, no. And it'll take time. But no, 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 not at all. But take time. But I think it's another. You know, it's something else that we're adding. Dilly, dilly. Look at what you started now. It's <laughs> nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with me. I've never said the words. <laughs> but um, it, it uh, you know, the uh, the podcast was that we had a few people that said that uh, uh, yeah, you know. I don't get to necessarily watch the shows, yeah. Um, but they have times when they might be out and about and they're doing yeah, things. Working, to throw on a set of yeah, earphones definitely, and listen to it. Definitely. So yeah, right. keep an eye uh, an eye out. It will be an yeah. eye out to start with before it's an ear out, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll keep all updated. We'll keep it it's going to be on Spotify. It's going to be on the whole yeah. kit caboodle. So yeah. we're just getting That's them all fun. uploaded, audio only of these shows. No idea how they're going to work. So if you're listening to the podcast now, welcome. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, before you switched off, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's, really good. Uh, I listen back. Some, it's currently Saturday morning. Uh, <laughs> I don't no, know. It was, really, it was really good. It was really good. But uh, look, let's get moving because I'm really, really excited about Paul, uh, getting Paul on. Um, and I think this is going to be really interesting and exciting because he's going to teach us a lot about the circuit. Because uh, I was chatting to our archivist yesterday, Pete Stowe, because um, I'd asked him if he wanted to come on. But Pete, Pete's a little bit more shy um, behind the scenes. And he said... What are you saying he, about Paul? yeah exactly but but he said he he did um so pete said to me he said you and you and chris uh really do need a bit of education uh a bit more about the circuit and he said he was disgusted we hadn't had copies of the book here so uh so yeah so i think this should be a good one please get your questions in guys for paul and paul you know covered he's covered so much just in motorsport which i know we'll talk about so please you know if it's not just about coon don't be afraid to ask a question we're not uh we're not going to get upset, are we? <laughs> well, I won't, but you might. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Come, come on, all. come all. That's what I say, Chris. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, just getting loads of messaging and, and evening, everybody. Mike Cotton as well. Matt Parr, saloon racer, who also won another sim racing that I commentated last oh, night. Fantastic. Uh, absolutely amazing in the GT4 cars and did a fabulous job. So welcome to everybody coming in. But the most important thing, let's bring in our very special guest. And we we thank him immensely for, for joining us. Paul Lawrence, good evening, sir. Uh, good evening, Chris. Good evening, Tom. It's, uh, Hi, it's quite a quite a pleasure to be here, I must say. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, I think you were kind of like, what am I letting myself in for to some extent, weren't you, to be fair? Uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm a journalist, not a commentator, as, as you will learn over the next hour or so. People, no, no, no. people say, well, have you ever thought about commentating? And I say, no, I don't have a spell check on my mouth. So um, I'll leave the commentary to, to you guys and... Uh, I can write about it while I can think about it and put it through the spell checker later on. 
Hey, I'm yeah. neither. I'm neither of those things. I mean, I, I, you know, I can barely walk in a straight line and, and write. I mean, so you, you've got you've got something on us there, there Paul. <laughs> Well, I love this as well, though. Mark Mitchell, happy Friday, everyone. That's the whole point. No one, no one knows. No, one knows. <laughs> no, no, who knows what day it is? It's about, isn't it a bank holiday this Friday, anyway? Isn't it? It, it is. is. It's it's a day. So, I'm it surprised is. there isn't a race meeting planned for Castle Coombe on Friday, really. But um... uh, because of badminton horse trials that, of course, should have been on at the same uh, time, of course, and we just wouldn't have been able to have had the medical. Oh. Yeah, logistically, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's all uh, right for me because I should have been at uh, Brands Hatch commentating Friday, Saturday, uh, which is very uh, weird. Okay. Friday and Saturday for the classic sports car club. Yes, yeah. Uh, obviously, sadly, sadly, I'm not uh, be going to be able to do as we know. Um, Tim Perry, evening, Paul would love to learn about how Castle Coombe circuit came to being. Now, before we, we go, yeah, <laughs> before we go into that, I mean, and I think I know the answer, some answers to that. And I say it when I'm hosting the racing school, but I feel like I've got to bow down to the man oh, who don't, knows. Don't, don't. <laughs> this, this is where I can shoot myself in both feet at the same time. So um, please chip in if you think I'm, I'm missing the point or going wrong. No, not at all. No, not so at all. How, how did, it, from what I understand is that it, it was a um, military... Uh, training airfield, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was our. It was our AF base that was built in in the forties when they were building them everywhere at high speed to cope with the war effort. Um, and after the war, it was part of the Castlecombe estate, which was a lady called Kitty Morris who owned it. Mm. And the Bristol Club, Bristol Motorcycle and Light Car Club, I think it was. Yeah, one of the Bristol clubs anyway. It started some racing with five hundred cc Formula Three cars, and they were using a circuit at Lollsgate which I guess is part of what became Bristol Airport. Absolutely. But it wasn't very well received. The REC, the governing body, didn't think it was very safe. And they were looking around for somewhere else. And Kitty Morris um, was very, somebody suggested, and she was very amenable. And basically they took the perimeter out of Castle Coombe and um, built a, I say they built a race course. They put some oil drums out and um, waved some flags and away they went in July 1950. And, and it was literally that perimeter road with all its bumps and holes and goodness knows oh, what yeah. else yeah careful that was careful it. It was, it was, <laughs> real it was superb, superbly surfaced obviously well i mean in the early days um through the winter the farmer grazed cows on it so the first job of the spring was to shovel the um the remains <laughs> off the off the track so i don't think we had a flag for that in those days <laughs> uh, now i just do that in the commentary box <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah so that's how it all started july 1950 there was a very little race meeting it had to run behind closed doors to comply with the requirements of the motorsport uh the rac as it was then and then in october 50 they were able to run a, a proper race meeting and and um I, I love seeing the photos. If anybody gets the opportunity, uh, certainly if you're attending, uh, attending like the racing school, but in the Strawford Centre, we've got all the the time um, yeah. timeline across yeah. the walls, and the photos are just fantastic. And and yeah. I know that people like uh, Sean Lewis here is saying really recommend the history of Castle Coombe books, as I understand it. There's, I think there's more than one now, isn't there? Yeah. Great, uh, yeah, there is. Yeah. Merlin can get us one, but that yeah, they're online. Include. They're online. Sorry, they're, they're, those books are online. The nineteen 51 uh, the sorry put the 50th anniversary one is as rare as hen's teeth uh, i don't think we've got any of those uh, pete may have a couple in the shop but the, the sixth anniversary one is on special offer at the moment i'll just get this plug in now it's on special offer at the moment <laughs> it is available on our circuit web website and shop uh, and we can post it out to you during these difficult times so uh, yeah please go on and go on and buy that 
And and the point being Sorry. is that, as, as I understand it, it's got some some of the some of the photos in there as well, hasn't it? And and yeah. it's just one of the biggest things that I always make a, a quip about hosting racing school is that going, uh, you know, look at the size of the crowd. So this wasn't obviously the initial years then. But suddenly we were having, you know, when Sterling Moss, and I know we've got a fabulous photo of you uh, with Sterling Moss, uh, and but we've also got a photo of Sterling Moss upside down in his car up at uh, Quarry indeed. Corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> with massive crowds, and I make the comment, safely tucked behind straw bales. Oh, yeah, and, and a bit of rope as well. There was you. Yeah, oh, oh, the magical oh, rope. Yeah, safety yeah. rope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you look back, you think, wow. Um, that was uh, that was scary times, but that that was the world we lived in then. And of course, mm. that actually leading on was a was a big problem for the circuit as as we went through the nineteen fifties, and then in nineteen fifty five, this terrible Le Mans disaster when yeah. eighty people, eighty plus people died at Le Mans. Suddenly, everybody was thinking circuit safety, and the circuit was in trouble because it didn't have a spectator bank of any description, really. Like you say, straw bales and a bit of rope, mm. which wasn't going to stop a racing car if it if it went really wrong. Yeah, the Le Mans uh, accident where the, obviously the car went into the crowd and killed, what was it, 80 spectators? They kind mm. of realised that the straw wasn't, and rope wasn't quite so uh, secure in No, no, and that really had a big impact on, on Coombe being used in the late 50s. Basically, car racing stopped. They carried on with bikes, but cars had to stop because the governing body said, no, it's not safe, guys, you can't do that. I mean, and you mentioned uh, uh, Kitty, obviously, that, that owned it. I mean, she was uh, um, a fierce character as well, wasn't she? Oh, she was. I, I only knew about her through sitting with the late, great Howard Strawford. And, and his tales of Kitty were, were remarkable. Yeah, she was, uh, she was quite a character. I think they had some, some interesting meetings and they drank quite a lot at the same time, I think, as well. But she was a, a great enthusiast and without her approval and permission, it would never have happened. Uh, absolutely and i mean it was almost like a, it was the, the perfect baton um uh pass wasn't it to be honest with you in the fact that for, for howard to pick up because of course he was a fierce character in his own right lovely man but a fierce character to take on was it 76 that he took it over wasn't no, it? it was a bit earlier than that it was it was, was just it? yeah i mean racing was gonna mm. finish i think it was the end of 71 season the planning had run out the money had run out the circuit was going to close um, I remember Howard saying that he got sort of all the local enthusiasts together and say, what are we going to do? And the best idea was, well, let's have a party to celebrate the closure of the circuit. And Howard said, hang on, I think I've got a plan. And he battled away and, and brought it back really from the brink of closure. It, yeah, because he, he worked for the circuit. He lived over in Wales, then came over working for, who did he work for? Yeah, he, well, he, he <laughs> craft food, craft yeah. Food. Yeah, and Craft, then got involved oh, through um, the BRSCC, Southwestern Centre, and became more and more involved, and then gradually, bit by bit, saw a chance to to save the place, and he did, um, to his enormous credit. And, and that's why I know we were chatting offline, and I said that Howard Strawford, and, and I make no secret of it, is an absolute hero of mine, because he built this facility that that enabled me to or, or created the passion for motorsport as a five-year-old sat up on the spectator bank at quarry corner from just down the road in yate and and literally you watched it from when he took it on is that year upon year it was improving the safety improving the facilities just improving the circuit and what it provided each time and took it i think the, the figures that I, I i saw was taking it from something like five days use a year up to like 250 oh, odd days yeah. a year, probably more yeah. than that now. 
it was it was a life's work and and in, and, and obviously pat uh, um his wife was was right there with him as well and uh they eventually bought west is it westway house i think it's called and the house they lived in down down the yeah, right yeah. um that resolved a, a noise problem they had because the, the resident there was grumping so <laughs> howard bought his house off him so that was a another problem solved but in those early days building that safety what they call the safety barrier system he used to go around the country buying up second-hand second-hand armco barriers from the motorways stuff that had been bashed mm. but not too badly bashed dragged it back to Coombe, and, and that was how they built the circuit and and that's the kind of stories that we love is that he's 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 found a way to make it work and build up this facility that so many of us have, have just yeah. loved i mean all three of us were chatting beforehand is that the 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 affection and connection that so many people have to this circuit is like nothing else in the country yeah um as you you both know like you chris i get to a lot of circuits a lot of race meetings but there's nothing that has the buzz and the atmosphere and, and the local enthusiasm and passion that, that coon does you can stand down at quarry on a on a, you know on a quite an ordinary race day in terms of what's going on on a saturday and there's people there who are loving it and they're so committed so involved you don't see it anywhere else alton park you get a little bit of it yeah most circuits there's no there's nothing like that at all it's it's very special mm. to castle coon without question and, and it's always the, the the big crowds the same people involved and i think that's what's carried it through um and we're seeing it even with these shows in fairness aren't we tom yeah no, definitely no i and just going back I, I think you know as i say there's lots of things that still around the circuit that um i've got stories about how howard uh, reusing begging borrowing stealing and i think it's quarry um actually quarry corner the banking there someone referred to it as sainsbury's uh, <laughs> yes. banks and I said, well, what, what do you want to buy? And they, when they were building the new Sainsbury's in Chippenham, they dug all the, you know, dug all the foundations, everything out, needed to get rid of it. And of course, Howard said, I want that for to build this new new spectator yep. bank. So wow. um, yeah, so 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 a few people still refer it to, I think yeah, yeah, there's a few of them still refer to it. Les and a few of the uh, the older team that have been around. Yeah, yeah. So, how, there you go. Howard used Howard used to like to portray the, you know, fairly, fairly quietly spoken fairly simple character from south wales but believe me he was a very very canny businessman um very shrewd very smart and and could see yeah, a good deal and, yeah. and yeah. was creative too you know he he came up with new ideas all the time he was he was quite something uh, and, and agreed and i mean i've always yeah. said i mean i said that i'm a fan because he put the facility on the doorstep but one of the biggest things i've always said that i feel so privileged about is that to get the opportunity to break into the commentary was given to me by Castlecombe, my local and beloved circuit and the interview was with the late great howard strawford and the late great rodney gooch uh, and yeah. i feel so blessed that it was those two that saw something gave me an opportunity they sort of nurtured me through and they just sort of gradually teased me into it and and now sit here with just a lot of time quite emotional pride and i think that sums up a lot of people connected with the circus it's not just a fan base it's an emotional connection isn't it definitely definitely yeah it is it's, it's that family circuit you know we live in a, a time of global conglomerates and and Jonathan Palmer, bless him, has done a fantastic job with the MSV circuits. They're, they're well-kept. They're great places to visit. But Coombe still has that, that, that family feeling. It makes it special. Well, Tom, I know that we've had many a chat going over. Is that whilst you, you know, that you, you mentioned Paul about uh, the great job that MSV and, and Jonathan Palmer do with, with making this sort of almost blueprint of a, a very good quality circuit, 
and some people kind of go, well, should we be doing this? Should we be getting rid of that? And it's like, I don't know, even down to some people mention things like our grass paddock is a big deal to a lot of people. It has the club racing feel still to it. And if we lost it, and Tom, I remember you passionately telling me this, if we got rid of that, it would undo a lot of the charm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I guess it's like anything, isn't it? It's like anything in life, you know, with, you know, change, with facilities and everything else. And I think, you know, we are, you know, I've been to, I've worked on MSV circuit, same as you. And, and um, like you said, they're, they're great facilities are lovely and everything else. Do they have that sort of feel to them that we have at Coombe? And, and Paul's probably best, you know, better place than I am, you know, on his thoughts. And when you go, and same, Chris, I know, you know, one commentary box is similar to another. But I mean, yeah, Paul, I mean, what what's the sort of thoughts out as a journalistic side? You know, when people go to these circuits, you know, either racing or what, you know, what is it they say to you? I, I think you're absolutely right. Coombe has got a very special place in people's heart. And, you know, I don't unlock Silverstone. It's it's our Grand Prix venue. It's somewhere I, I go a lot. But Silverstone can be a very soulless place because it's tarmac and fences. Mm. Um, when it's busy, it's got a good atmosphere. But that's only two or three times mm. a year. Most of the time, it's it can be pretty desolate because it's so big. There's so many mm. fences. There's so much tarmac, so much concrete. Coombe should keep its... It's like... Um, it's like a park. It, it, it's it's a little bit similar to Alton Park in some ways in that respect, that it, it's almost like a parkland setting. And I think that was something that Harrod always used to be jeal- guard yeah. very jealously too. You know, the, it needs to be a nice place for people to go and visit. You can sit on the grassy bank and have a picnic. You can you can enjoy the racing and, and you can you can wash it from a grassy bank. You don't have to sit in a drafty grandstand or on mm. a bit of concrete. And mm. I think that's that's really important. I think that's that's the way it should stay. I, I always say to people, I say there's, I always say there's an ice cream van and a burger van on every corner. What more do you need? <laughs> yes. and, a, and a toilet on most of them. Um, yeah, well. Well, exactly. well, this is it. And you know, we did some research a few years ago, and, and you know, and I think there was, a, and you'll probably remember, Paul, there was the Autosport bit of research about the circuits, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, actually, you know, people, you know, we don't, I, pre- yeah, I appreciate, we don't have the, you know, the, the, some of the. I think I was thinking we were looking into the toilet block that Silverstone built, or, or one of them. It's like two hundred thousand pounds or something for this toilet, this this, this all single dancing toilet block, which is yeah. we just don't have that sort of money. But actually, you know, what we do is we have uh, you know a lot of great things that dare I say, chaps or women or whoever's into motorsport, you want on a good day. You, know, you want a burger, you want a cup of coffee, you want to talk like Chris, especially Chris. You need a toilet within walking distance, and <laughs> you want an ice cream for the kids. And, and and to be honest, you know that's 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 a lot of it, and and a, and a decent price, but. Um, yeah, and yeah. you want to be able to park the car not a million miles exactly. away where you can yeah. set up your deck chairs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and enjoy Which, and, again, not all circuits do. And the other thing is we get a lot of feedback on, and Chris knows this as well, is, is people talk to people at Coombe. So if you've not been – and we get a lot of this. People say, it was my first time not been to a race meeting. So friendly. And they mean talking to – and we've had a lot of these guys that come on and watch – talking to um, you know the real diehard, you know, the quarry hardcore, people like that. And they're actually, you know, they will happily chat, won't they, Chris, and talk oh. to people. And that's the other thing. I'm not saying you, you probably do get that other some of the circuits, but actually at Coombe, it's so condensed, isn't it? And a, and a family, if these guys, some of those guys, Chris knows better than I, they've been coming for... Oh, you know, way, way before yeah. me, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, yeah you've got the Quarry Hardcore, the Camp Softcore, you've got a lot of Tower at Bobby. <laughs> you know, you've got them everywhere, all around mm. the, the circuit. And uh, and we're finding it more and more with, uh, obviously, social media really sort of bringing us together during those race days. 
And, you know, they are there. I mean, Paul, you mentioned, for example, uh, Alton Park. It's another place I love commentating at. And you've got like the Knickerbrook Hardcore and all of that sort of stuff. And you've got, mm. I love it. You've got not just the sort of like the more vocal ones. You've got the more sedentary ones that are always there and have been forever. Brands Hatch has a core that are sort of like up Hellwoods Hill and stuff like that. I forget what they call themselves. I think it's like the Hellwood Tree Crew or something like that. <laughs> so you do get that. So, but again, if you consider, if you picture those circuits, they are another pair of very attractive circuits that kind of almost have that yeah. park feel to it again, isn't it? Cadwell Park is another one that that has that that same sort of yeah. feel to it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you're right. There are others. I think you know. I don't don't get me wrong. I don't, you know, but it is. It's just. I think. You know, we're we're just a bit, we're just we're unique. We're lucky in the southwest. We were talking about this before. You know, if you live up in the Midlands, you've got a lot more choice. But, but sorry, Paul. I mean, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I suppose what was the you know what's the draw? What was the draw for you coming to the circuit to start to start with when you marshaled? Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this this morning actually. I, I think I first came there when I was about six. Um, my dad was marshaling then. Uh, and that would have been crikey. That would have been in the middle 60s. Oh, look out. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> just, just at the right moment, um, a, a ghost from the past appears. Um, so I came as a kid. Uh, I'd go anywhere with my dad. And, it, you know, we, in those days, we lived in Sarancester. So it was it was oh. half an hour or 40 minutes down the road. Okay. Um, and then inevitably, because he was marshalling, I followed him into marshalling. And that's really, once I got my transport, that's when I started coming back to Coombe on a regular basis. And uh, Mr. David Vass um, of Kidderminster, who is well known to many, um, I marshalled with David many, many times at Castle Coombe um, with some of his mates and Clive and Neil. And we had such a lot of fun, Some of one or two scary moments as well, but right through from sort of late 70s through for a decade at least. I used to love coming there because you were you were involved, you were close to the action, you know, and and you were with like-minded people, and it was just a, a great fun thing to do. And and uh, picking up on that, you just to take it further for people that don't know, it's talking about David Vass saying that uh, um, one of the best flaggies in the world, apparently. There, but, um... <laughs> well, it's very kind of him, but um, I'm not <laughs> sure that's, that's the case. But um, he, he's very kind to say, yeah, we we had a lot of fun for about a decade. We we used to go on the same post together, just like the guys do now. You know, most of the marshals now will 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 they form a sort of a family group yeah. and they work together, they know each other, they socialise. Um, and when the chips are down, they know what to do. Uh, you know, they're a great bunch of people, and it's a bit of an obvious plug, but it's a great way of getting really involved in the sport. Yeah, we, this is what we were talking about on Sunday, wasn't it? Absolutely. As well, well we talk all the time. Closer, other than the drivers, yeah. was the phrase that I always yeah. use. Yeah. But I mean, this was in uh, uh, 1975 when you were 16 that you started. I'm not going to mention that I wasn't born till 76, and Tom was. No, don't, don't, don't. I'm, I'm, I think I've miscounted. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I don't think. No. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> so you, you know that what means that you you have seen some massive changes over the years because we're talking that's the initial years when howard strawford took it over and, and it was him that really made those changes over the coming years oh yeah yeah it, 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 you and it, looking back you realize how much it has changed mm. i mean talking about david vassier we used to marshal on the marshal post on the inside of old paddock before the complex was put in. And boy, that was a place that kept your attention because Old Paddock then was pretty much flat unless you got it wrong. And if you got it wrong, the Marshall's Post was quite in the firing line. So, you know, we had a few few exciting moments there over the years, certainly. Um, it's changed 
it's changed. Obviously, it had to change, and it did. Although I think Howard agonised over making those changes, but mm. they were the right thing to do. Um, and it's now safer for everybody, whichever side of the barriers they are. Yeah. And I was going to say, you must have seen some of the absolute greats in that time. That's you know, that's sort of late seventies up to the uh, mid eighties, early eighties. I mean, there was some. I mean, some of the names that came. You must have seen maybe even marshalled or, or, or went out to some huge calls, I imagine, from that time. Yeah, yeah, there were, you know, we. I remember David Coulthard racing there, Ayrton Senna, people like that, Damon mm. Hill, all of those guys in their formative years were all, you know, were all racing at Castle Coon. Senna won, I think Coulthard won, yeah. um, back when they were, you know, young, keen guys trying to make, make their way in the sport. Um, I'm going to pick up on this comment. Uh, uh, Mike Cotton said, I thought I saw the H16 BRM at Coombe driven by Ken Wharton, but the book says it was V16. Any thought? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not going to take Sorry, on a, an anorak contest, contest with Mike Cotton because he knows more about the sport than I'll ever know. Um, I'd have to have a think about where that information came from in the first I, place. I was going to say, I, sp I spoke to Mr. Stowe yesterday, our archivist, and he did say, if there's any questions like that, he's more than happy for me to email him. Or, and he said he will he will dig. And it is a man who will start digging and not stopping. It'll be Mr. Stowe. Yeah, and, and that, that's the one for Pete. I, um, it may well have been the H16, although if it was, it probably didn't do many laps because it didn't ever last very long from my mind. That's a little bit before me, I'm, pl I'm pleased to say. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely one for Pete. And, and while we mentioned Pete, I should acknowledge that um, the books would never have happened without all the groundwork and the, and the slog that Pete put into them. Because ultimately, he's the guy who has all the data, all the information, and yeah. he made it possible. So big credit to Pete for all the hours of work that he puts in then, and indeed still does. Yeah, and, 100%, 100%. and I kind of almost got the impression that it was like a, such a great partnership between the two of you in the fact that he's the one with, uh, you know, this wealth of his, historic knowledge and then your amazing skills is weaving it together to, to sort of like tell the story and paint the pictures. Well, that's that's very kind of you to say so. But yeah, it, it did work very well. And Pete was uh, tremendous to work with and, mm. and so thorough, so if Pete tells you something, you can rely on it that that's that's how it was. Yeah, if there's an I that's going to be dotted or a T that's going to be crossed, <laughs> he he will find it. I mean, he's he can be my arch nemesis at times for, um, <laughs> for <when I'm laughs> a bit flimsy sometimes on my facts, but um, and he will call me and say, "Where did you get that from, Tom?" And I'll, not Wikipedia, no, <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> Certainly, no, we, Mike, Mike, Mike Cotton's BRM question. That's 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 one I'm gonna, I'm going to slide that. I will pass that on. We will pass that on. So well done, Mike. That's a good one. That one. Uh, nothing to do with this, but I am going to bring it up. Uh, Tom, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to yeah, do this. All. But Daniel Williams has said, "You got any ideas when we can get back on track? Are you track days? No, is the answer at the minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, it all comes down to. I mean, well, two things. You know, it comes down to what the government are going to say on relaxing." you know um on social social distancing the minute they give us some guidance then you know we can we can push on and paul maybe you've got some thoughts on this on other, you know, I, other circuits and other venues are doing it, it's something I, I i think about a lot because you know from work point of view like like a, an awful lot of people who work in motorsport um you know not being any motorsport is um is not good for for finances but mm. um I think Sunday is a little bit of a watershed. I, th I believe Boris is going to give us some some outline as to what the next few weeks hold for the country. Um, there was an interesting piece, if you can find it, on autosport.com, an interview with Jonathan Palmer, who had some interesting comments and was very, very upbeat about when things could start. 
Mm. He was talking about the tracks being opened maybe as early as June. Mm. Now, I think that's probably for track days and testing yeah. rather than race meetings. And obviously, yeah. there is this issue of will race meetings run behind closed doors, as the Grand Prix is rumoured to be. I don't, I can't see Castle Coombe doing that because I think spectators are such an important integral part of that that I'm not sure that, that would be the way the circuit would go. But that's one of yeah. the options out there. I think, we're, we're, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, this is the thing. Obviously, the Autosport um, couldn't get hold of me. That's why they, um, that's why they had to uh, interview uh, Mr. Palmer, obviously. Um, but anyway, on, moving on. Um, they, um, no, you're right, and I th- we're going to we're going to deal with what we get given. And I think, I, I, yeah, I do agree. I think there's two things. If we can get some trap days up and running. We, I'm fairly confident, you know, that we can keep people separated. We can run those. You know, we, we're limited on numbers anyway, and we've got a huge. As someone pointed out to me, we've got vast space, so people can park away from each other, and you know, and we can. And I think you know, there's lots of people, that repeat customers. So I think we can manage those people, and I think if those people work with us, you know, and, and, and are sensible, then we can run a really good, safe day. Race meetings. On the flip side, I, you know, I, I think there's a twofold thing here. If we get to run and it's behind closed closed doors. At least we are running, and the circuit is generating some income, and the racing club, and you know, and we get to do to do something, and the people out there that want and need to race. Without you know the, the customers coming through the door, yes, it's a loss in revenue, but and it's a huge loss in the atmosphere. But I think you know what would you you know I'm going to ask you two what would you rather have? That that's the bottom line, isn't it? If we can get something running, you know, behind closed yeah. doors for those participants and keep the circuit going and keep motorsport alive. Or not, have, or not, have, you know. Do you see what I mean? That, that, that's a bit for me. I think if if it comes to that, we we have to do whatever we can to get sport happening again because yeah. so many people, and I'm one of them, rely on motorsport to earn a living. And mm. you think of all the, the mechanics, the engineers, the the, the equipment yeah. suppliers, the tire people. So many people are just sitting with no revenue and nothing doing. So yeah, the sooner we can get cars on track in, under any condition, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, and 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 you know, as you know, the same applies for me as a commentator. Is that there's, you know, it's it's a huge loss both emotionally and financially, and it is great to get going. And I know it's like talking about whether we can uh, get it underway and and sort of stream some kind of commentary with uh, with whatever. Plenty of people watch TSL, and that's what I always mm-hmm. love that people get glued yeah. to that. If we can add some context to it with commentary, you know, who knows? Watch this space, but please rest assured that everybody at the circuit is trying to do and i can say this sort of like from the periphery is that everyone's doing what they do and you're right daniel the reason i brought it up as a valid comment is that track days are a little bit different to race days yeah because we're not talking about massive crowds but you know you've got action days you've got track days you've got test days you've got race days there's everything and it's sunday's going to be a watershed moment to start hopefully putting this in the right direction yeah and that's it but that's that's that i needed to bring it up because it had been bought as a comment sorry paul you're going to say something yeah then. no i think you i think you're right i think next week we'll start to give some pointers um i would expect motorsport uk to to make a next announcement on what's going on in terms of permits for, for competitive events before too long mm. uh, we on a british touring cars have come out with a, a draft calendar that restarts at the beginning of august um Let's hope they're right. Let's hope that they're right. Yeah. yeah. The, the biggest thing that everybody has to bear in mind that, that is out of everybody's control is that there's one step is to try and get activities happening again. But what doesn't disappear is the uh, uh, prerequisite for social distancing, which mm. I think to, even to a reduced extent is going to have to stand until we eliminate this little bugger that is causing just worldwide hell. 
and yeah. and that's that's the part that everybody just got to understand you know when even when we start going back to work is that businesses uh, uh, you know as a business owner myself is that i know that that both myself and the even the serviced office that i'm in everybody's putting have going to have to put things into place the circuit is no different it's got to make sure it's keeping everybody safe and it's adhering to the rules. So bear with us, guys. We will keep you up to date. We've got these shows and podcasts that come off the back of it as audio only. The website will keep you updated. And talking of keeping you updated, Tom, we did manage to forget at the, the start of the show the 70th anniversary T-shirt. Yeah, we're doing a competition at the moment. So please head on over, uh, like and share. And those T-shirts are available. I'm sure um, if Sam's listening, he'll put the link up. But we've got loads of merch uh, available um, you know, please support us please of merchandise you're getting down with the kids down with the kids yeah from <laughs> baseball caps to key rings and everything but no please you know please support the you know the circuit and the club you know the pete molan um produces most of that uh, and it goes to the goes to the racing club so uh, yeah please please do that please. no definitely so go to the uh the, the castle Coombe circuit facebook page and it's tagged it's it's pinned at the top is the uh, the competition to potentially win one and even if you don't win the uh, the ones up for grabs they are available as tom says so uh, so thank you for that interestingly by the way just to add to this uh uh tete regards to the uh, the brm is that uh Mike <laughs> elton's jumped in and messaged me uh saying brm h16 1.5 liter super supercharged so they're actually arguing amongst themselves now as well, which is exactly what you want, Paul. To <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping out of that. I'm, I can't class to claim to be a BRM expert, but I, 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 no, I was going to say that. And Paul, I, you know, obviously we're talking about it, but yeah, that must be so difficult for you. Or how do you? Because obviously, you you can tell us. I'd be interested to know how you then got into the media side. But this must be a minefield for for, for, for you. Uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Historic racing is allegedly full of historic cars but of course we get into what is historic uh, you know it, it's the old trigger's broom it's it's an it's a it's an original car but it's had three new chassis four new engines um <laughs> but fortunately the chassis plate survived um so yes it is a minefield you always find when you're writing about a car that purports to have a history you've got to be careful because um inevitably there are owners who you know like to make their car perhaps more important than it really is because a lot of these old cars are worth an awful lot of money now um so it is a minefield um yeah. you have to tread carefully and what's your sort of what's your do you have an opinion or anything you know like i said there's a lot of these cars and i know there's especially the rallying scene i'm sure it's in the racing that are being signed off on various different guises and i've heard of a few going to auction not necessarily being sold or being sold and people going back on it and things i mean what what's what's your standpoint yeah. on all that yeah it's it's massively difficult to establish what a car exactly is unless it's got a complete history that's documented mm. um it, it's it's so hard to say with any surety that that car is the car that did this and then and where's it been in the last 40 years so yeah, it's a minefield, yeah. and and obviously yeah. the the smart people who really know their subjects, like somewhere there are a few small number of people who really know their BRMs. Mm. They're the people you've got to get to um, yeah. because hopefully they're yeah. there or they're involved or they have that amount of knowledge and, and can say. But it is it's a tricky one, yeah. What about the the phrase that uh, a car, uh, just as the example we're talking about here, is worth whatever anyone will pay for it? Mm. yeah un undoubtedly um you look at the ferrari 250 gtos i mean the values of those have just gone utterly unbelievable really 
Um, but even, you know, even far more what I would class ordinary cars, we've got a situation now where a Williams FW07, which is, you know, a lovely period Grand Prix car from tail end of the 70s, early 80s. They're now cars that are becoming worth the better part of a million pounds. And people are now wondering, actually, do I want to race these cars yeah. anymore? Yeah. Or do I want to put it in a cocoon and look at it? Yeah. Same thing happened with some of the groups. See, the Porsche 956 is nicely too, the Le Mans cars. They're, they've become so valuable that actually people are thinking, mm, not sure I'm going to race that anymore. And, that, and that's a real shame. But people have invested in classic cars, classic race cars, and some have made a lot of money. And this, I find it intriguing. Sorry, Tom. I find it intriguing no, no, no. where it sort of moves along is that uh, my brother-in-law's got an absolutely beautiful um, uh, Ford Escort Cosworth. Um, I, think I, I I don't really get the, the marks, but it'll be the, 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 the whatever mark the, the it is. The whale tail. Yeah, the big tail. Correct. Exactly yeah. right. Um, yeah. and, and he's got one of those, and he is actually – he does love driving it, but he has to be careful how much he does because by all accounts – he could potentially sell that and get enough money from the sale of that to buy a brand new Lamborghini. I wouldn't Just be too surprised. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised. Cars that once were worth next to nothing are now worth a fortune. Uh, you talk about Ford Escorts. The original Mark One Escort in '68 wow, came yeah. out in '68. You know, they were second and they were worth a couple hundred quid. Mm -hmm. Now, good ones are fetching 30, 40, 50,000 pounds. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd had a shed under foresight <laughs> 50 years ago because yeah. I'd have been retired long since, but there you go. But, but doesn't that highlight that you just wouldn't be able to second guess, would you? No, no even no. even minis are fetching serious money now for, for good minis in nice condition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, mean, I was going to... Sorry, no, I was just going to say, though, but of course, the, yeah, the, the thing is, though, one of your other hats you um, with your classic motorsport coverage, you do blame some of these people. I mean, I say blame's too strong, maybe, but like Julius um, with... Um, where he's with the Austin A was it A thirty five A thirty five yeah. So a few years ago, you know, ten probably what seven eight years ago, you could have probably bought one of those quite cheaply, and then suddenly because they started the racing series, <laughs> they're going to silly money. So do you uh, do you, what do you think? Yeah, that, that, that was a really simple, fairly pointless. Sorry to upset anyone. In my opinion, very pointless um, <laughs> classic car, though, wasn't it? But, but if I was saying to you, "Here's some money, buy a classic car," would you have really thought of an Austin A35? But now you try and buy a decent one. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you go into the pub and you're trying to chat somebody up and they're telling me you're a racing driver, what do you race? An Austin A35. <laughs> your, your credibility is blown, really, isn't it? But, <laughs> sorry, Julius, but um, I think part of what we're going on here is. <laughs> no, no, Part I, of what we've sure got on here fine. is also the Goodwood factor. Cars that can get yeah. to Goodwood inevitably, right. or things like Monte Carlo for the Monaco Historic Grand Prix, the values of those mm. inevitably go up because people are looking for cars that will get them into those real top-end historic yeah. race meetings. Um, and that's that's yeah. another issue. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, the car thing just goes on and on, and we may well come back to it. I'm conscious that I've, I've sort of neglected people's comments at the minute, so let's just jump back to this for a second. Uh, Michael Greenhoff, welcome. Uh, my first track day was at Coombe. I haven't been back since, but will be back when I can. Good. <laughs> Good man. Glad Good to see it. Yep. Uh, Nathan Salty 
Solkeld. Solkeld. <laughs> Thank you. I started my track biking on Coombe, finished my last race six years later with NG. So gone through the track days, then into racing. And 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 someone else made this comment earlier as, as well. And uh, I don't know, Paul, apologies. I probably should have checked this. Are you into two wheels as much as four or are you? No, I'm, 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 I'm purely four. I don't, I mean, I, I admire anybody who's brave enough, crazy mm. enough. I don't know to get on a quick bike, and the racing is stunning. And top end motorbike racing makes Formula One look dull, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm, I'm not into. I never had a bike when I was a kid. I always went straight to a mm. car. Um, I find them quite terrifying, to be honest. Yeah, no, I understand. Right, let's have a look. This, this, I love this. Oh no, don't tell me. Oh, I thought I'd lost it, and that's good. It's still there. Oh, this is good, Tom. Sorry that I've just suddenly yeah, lost you. I'm going to bring this off as soon as I've read it because we've lost uh, Paul from the uh, the image at the minute. But just so I can read it out. Uh, no, that isn't the one I wanted. Where's... Hang on. Right. Sorry. This is the one I wanted. Chris Parr. Uh, so this is Papa Parr of Matt Parr. Uh, talking about the grass paddock, is there any truth in the story about there being a few World War II tanks buried under the central grass area at the bottom end of the paddock? I suspect it's not true, but it would be interesting to know whether it's a myth <laughs> or not without having to get my spade out. Please don't get your spade out, Papa Parr. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a new one. I've not heard that one. I would have thought if there was any possibility of that... Uh, a certain Mr. Strawford would have had him dug up and solved for scrap long ago. True. But, um, <laughs> it's a great story. It could yeah, be true. No. It could be true. I, I, I know that, uh, yeah, I don't, I know that we've had um, a couple of, do you remember about eight, maybe two years ago, when we had that really dry summer and the grass was drying out and suddenly you could see the shapes of all the old oh, foundations. Yeah. Uh, and it was amazing because we didn't know a lot of it was, it was under there. And I know Les has had issues um, trying to take up some of those old concrete bunkers and things in the past with just cannot, even with you know, the big diggers and everything else, it was getting to the point where it was going to have to try and blow it up with, you know, with dynamite. It was, um, it's <laughs> serious. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a new one on, on, on me. And, it, and I'm sure to be honest, I don't think there's probably much truth in it because Les is always digging for something. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure probably Australia, but I'm sure he would have found them by now. But amazing. I mean, he's great story. What a great story. And, and again, it's good that we get those stories. I mean, going back to that is that historically, obviously we talked about the fact that it was um, a, a military training airfield, but the, the story is that I know is that over what we know as old paddock was a Polish refugee camp. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's right. Um, I couldn't say for certain. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. and literally yeah. ended at the first point that we suddenly got the you know the Bristol Motor Club coming over to to run some race meets. Is that literally? I don't. It almost kind of almost like they got rid of them because they were going to do it. I don't know which came first. Careful, Chris. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, the other one as well then is that the name Old Paddock comes from the fact that that used to be the race paddock over there. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe that is the case. Yeah, in, in, in the very early days, the paddock was over there and rather than where it is now. So, yeah, I think that, that's where that came from. Yeah. So presumably where we've got that uh, that, that sort of like the, the, the road ex exit that comes under the bridge now is that that would have been where the cars would be joining the circuit? Roughly there, yeah, yeah. And probably separated by a rope and two oil drums as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, David Campion, good to see he's on from Wiltshire College. We love to bring new people and chat about what we all do. So it's good to see that even at the college, they sort of shared the yeah, history yeah. of the whole place as well. Your friend Scott still chipping in, Tom. Lovely place to have a picnic as well. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. He's always eating. I know, I know you probably got nervous there, what he was going to say as well. 
Uh, Ian Jones, family feel, family day out, uh, watching Nick. Um, presumably that's, is that Nick Jones? Um, Mizzen. Nick Mizzen. Ah, okay. Nick Mizzen. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just flipping down through just because I'm conscious that we've let a lot of these go. Uh, Andy Abrahams has said, uh, I was there when the Formula 5000s came to town and Peter Gethin and Howden Ganley set the outright lap record of 117.7, so presumably miles an hour, lap average, mm-hmm. early 70s. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 70-71, Formula 5000 was an awesome category. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was it was almost the pace of Formula 1 at its peak um, in terms of speeds. Big yeah. five-litre brutes. Pretty agricultural, the early cars. But they got better and better. And Peter Gethin was really was the man. And, uh, yeah, they came to Coombe twice. And uh, I don't think I was ever there for those. And I wish I had been because I bet that was quite some spectacle. I mean, they're the big bangers, as we know them, isn't it? The, the Formula 5000s. Yeah. I, I have the pleasure yeah. of, of getting to commentate on on some of the historic meets as well. And, uh, you know, the, the old 70s, 80s Formula 1 cars come to town, and we, of course, love them. But I'll be honest and say the Formula 5000s bring out just as much attention as those. Oh, yeah. It was only, it was, I was looking through some old pictures the other day, funnily enough, two or three years ago at the um, Autumn Classic, we had several 5,000s being demonstrated, which were, were tremendous, real spectacle. Yeah. Well, right, we, yeah. we had Nigel Greensill on, didn't we, at the beginning yeah. of, uh, yeah, of this yeah. uh, the series of episodes of Coombe TV, and, and he got to take one round and he loved it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he did. He drove a, a Lola. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of big bangers, Mike Skelton's also, he's not letting the BRM thing go. He said it was a real noisy screamer as well. So, uh, oh, yeah, loved, it was I'll, a noisy I'll go screamer. With that. It, was, it was a noisy beast. I remember, I think it was Nick Mason had one that he demonstrated at Silverstone one day in more recently, and it was an unbelievable noise. Yeah, painful almost, but fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, I'm chuffed to see we've got Sean Woodward, uh, Woodard of uh, Woodard Racing. And this is another challenge. I'm only bringing this up because it's making sure that everybody understands the challenges that we've all got to face to get this going. How can race marshals uh, be able to keep two metres apart? So, But uh, but also, good to see you're on, uh, Sean. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think on that on that note, and Paul, you probably back me up, I think, you know, Motorsport UK, you know, obviously we need a set number of marshals. Um, and we sort of, we, we're very lucky we found out the other day we have a lot more than we than, than necessary sometimes than we need and i think motorsport you know um motorsport uk you know they've got to understand um some of our concerns and issues as well and i think you know and also i'm not saying we should forget about safety in any way shape or form but i think you know where sometimes you have eight marshals um you know maybe we've got to review that and i don't know paul if you're you know what your thoughts or if you've heard anything are different no but i think i think you're right we as a sport we will look to motorsport uk to to guide us because we know that at the top level they are in dialogue with um with the government um, yeah. with the right people in the government departments so inevitably they will i'm sure they will come forward with with a, a clear plan and a proposal as to, as to what can happen and when and, and how we deal with these things, yeah, things like yeah. drivers signing on, things like scrutineering. All of these are, are pinch points in the day that mm-hmm. can, I'm sure can be resolved, but it will need yeah. need some guidelines and everybody to um, to do the right thing. 
Yeah, I mean, that two metres is going to be a challenge. So, uh, good point, Sean. And, and if anything, it was just making sure that others understand yeah, no, the challenges that we're all facing. And, and you know, I'm sure you weren't expecting an actual answer to that, Sean, because I know you well. You're a good man. No, but the key is, I think, like Paul said, you know, th- th- there's a governing body. And, you know, and then Paul's a journalist and, you know, we'll talk a bit more about it in a minute. But, you know, I think that's the important thing is that some of us don't know, you know, and, and, but we are all trying really hard. And I think there's going to be a million things, you know, a million things to, th- to think about. And, you know, we talked about this the other day, Chris, you're lucky we lock you in a box pretty much but you know there are things you know even doing the journal stuff you're know, talking to interviewing people i was just thinking about yeah. on the podium you know even on, even on the podium so now you're going to be saying to, to the guys on first second and third oh i'm sorry chaps you can't so you're gonna have the guy you know maybe on first and the other two you know what's that like in a photo you know it's all these mm-hmm. things isn't it mm-hmm. that you, you know, we just take for granted so, but we are, everyone is thinking about it. Uh, isn't thinking. that true to everyday life? I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure everybody watching, you suddenly go, wow, do you know what? I took that for granted and this for granted. And you suddenly go, I can't do it. It's just yeah. like... <laughs> I, I've been to Sainsbury's today for my, my, my weekly journey out. And it, it's it's the totally different experience. And But, yeah. you know, we've got used to it. We all stand in queue and we wait and we keep apart and... It, yeah. it works. So we'll people are very adaptable. Yeah, we'll get that. I was going to say some of the things that Chris probably uh, was used to doing. You know, being naked on the bus, Chris, has never been acceptable. Just, just so you know. Wait, in North Swindon, it was okay. <laughs> it's just when I went into the centre that it was frowned upon. Uh, so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you're making a lot of fuss over a little thing there. But uh, um... <laughs> moving on. Yeah, quickly. Oh, Mrs. Current Mrs. Dawes. Oh, current Mrs. Dawes. Thank you. I got a drink a... top up. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to have a word at home in a minute. That's yes, good. yeah. Not, I'm, getting, I'm getting thirsty here, but nobody seemed to take any notice. <laughs> so, so Paul, tell us tell us then, obviously, what was your transition from um you know marshalling into realizing that you were gonna do you know be a be a journo? Um, it was do you know, it, it sounded a bit cheesy. Um it all started with Siren Sester Car Club. There you go, that's getting really, really close to close to close to grassroots. Um I started editing um, the club newsletter, which was you know cheap and cheerful and banged out on an old Ronia Gestetner duplicator in, the, in back in the day. And that sort of got me started in writing a few bits and pieces. And then I'd been marching for quite a while and I thought, oh, maybe I could have a go at doing a, a race report for Autosport or something like that. And that was started in about 87, started off doing one or two. And it just it just grew from there bit by bit. So, you know, I'd, I'd come to Coombe and write 500 words on a on a, on a bank holiday Monday race meeting. Um, and it sort of mushroomed from there, really. And bit by bit, it grew and it grew and it grew to the point where by about 94, 95, I went full-time freelance. And I've been ever since. Um, I was very lucky to work for Porsche for 14 mm. years on Carrera Cup GB, which was, which was fantastic. Great organisation to work for. Um, and then the last decade, I've really focused on on historics. Goes with the hair color and the age, really, <laughs> um, and sort of become known in the historic field as someone who, who's got a bit of a clue occasionally. Um, and and here I am, you know, twenty five years later, still still freelance. Although at the moment, obviously, it's the quietest three months I've ever had. Yeah. And you must have been delighted yeah, to have that job to historic time. because historic motorsport. It just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, I, I sort of happened into it almost, but it just seemed to make sense because, you know, I'd grown up with these cars. Cars are an outrageous historic, so I grew up watching them in the first place. So it was very familiar. It was nice atmosphere. It just suited everything I was looking for to get more and more involved in historic. And, of course, 
it's not just racing. I go and do some historic, you know, get involved in historic rallying. I take photographs as well. So it all mm. just fits together. And and yeah, I'm I'm really really lucky, really lucky. You do mentioned. You, I, I'm going to ask this. I know with and this is keen keen chat. Go on, Tom. Oh, sorry. I, just, oh. I think there's a bit of a delay here, Chris. Apologies. That's right, Tom. You carry on. We're waiting for you, mate, with your... No, so, yeah, so it's a bit of a delay, my end. It's probably my blimmin' internet again. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was just <laughs> going to say, say um, i better ask the question. Do you, what's your favourite track? Oh, that's... Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question um except coom. except coom let's take coom off the table <laughs> if, if you ignore coom and put that to one side i i love thruxton because mm. often you get some very good racing at thruxton albeit it's it's very very seldom used but some of the some of the most exciting moments in racing coming up the hill to the chicane at thruxton that could be that can be quite dramatic um i love cabinet park because it's it's green and it's three-dimensional alton park mm. the same um out of the country, I've got to say Spa because everybody loves Spa. Um, there are some others. I the, the places that are fences and fences and soulless. I you know I get less enthused about. Well, that 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 makes sense. Um, I was about to say you mentioned rally in there. You actually did some co-driving as well. <laughs> I did just just very very yeah very grassroots very very club level stuff. But yeah, I did. I did did have some road rallying in my misspent youth um did 15 or 20 stage events in on airfields in march to escorts and i had a load of fun really load of fun i've um, never understood how you guys do that because i'd get travel sick in an instant reading the map it's <laughs> just terrific <laughs> i i guess I, i'm lucky i've sat in with a few very good drivers over the years both on circuits and on you know on, on press days and stuff mm. and it makes me realize that i'm never meant to be a competitive driver in my own right <laughs> Um, yeah, no, once you see somebody really else, good, you think, yeah, actually, yeah, I'll I'll stick to going to Sainsbury's and uh, and go to the shops. That, that's my limit, really. So, um, which answers that one because I know you made the point saying you just had no ambition to drive, and I was like, really? But now I understand it. You kind yeah. of got blown away. I I I would be the Mary Poppins at the back of the grid in whatever race I was in. Definitely. Does that mean you've I, never I, even given it a go? No. I've done a few, I've driven on track a few times um, to a very modest level, only on press days and test days and stuff like that. No, I've never raced, no. But not even had a crack in the driver's seat of a rally stage as well then? um, I've done a couple of goes on sort of school events and stuff like that, but literally almost nothing, no. Oh, wow, okay. I'm, I'm... I'm too cautious, way too cautious, and too sad. And I'm with in you. Fifty on that. years, in fifty years, I've seen so many huge accidents. Um, I know yeah. what can happen when it all goes wrong. So I think I've I've scared myself off really. Do you, Do you have sorry? Do you have out of everything you do now? Is there more of a passion for the on track stuff or the off track stuff like like the rally? I mean, because obviously they, 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 I appreciate you know you cover both and historic and everything else, but they are quite different, aren't they? They're very different. I'm, not, I'm I'm one of the few in the UK. I'm one of the few people who um, do both. I I like the variety. Mm. Um, I have to say, a lot of modern national racing. I'm a bit mm, yeah. I can take it or leave it a little bit. Hence the the, the move towards historics. Um, I enjoy a day in the forest on a rally. I enjoy a day at a hill climb. I enjoy a day on a trial. You know, I've done, I was counting up this morning. I think before lockdown came, I'd done 15 days motorsport this year before mm. second week of March. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, I like the variety. Yeah. Well, and, and we talk about variety. Let's go back a, a, a little bit and sort of like go away from the, the, the historics and say that, and something that's that's very close to a lot of uh, Coombe Hardcore is that you were the press officer on the Power Tour. <laughs> now, even yes, you, sir, not, yeah. you must remember what the Power Tour is, the Formula 3 and the British GTs, and you were the press officer when you came to Coombe. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, which was you know, which was an amazing experience. And those those days when we were at Coombe with that big show and all those people, they were they were big occasions, um, massive occasions. But yeah, so I, I was you know for several years I did British F three, British GT. Um, they were you know they were great times, great people, great cars, and bringing that show to Coombe was was one of the highlights undoubtedly. And I, I'm sure for a lot of the people who were there at the time seeing modern f3 cars and modern gt cars at coon was was something else i think it's probably the biggest thing that people turn to us and go can we have all that back again and it's like, <laughs> we could we yeah. would <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, sadly i mean that eventually the, the whole noise thing rather rather killed it and british G, british f3 now is well doesn't really exist in in the same sense um and british gt tends to just stick to a a small number of what it considers to be the uh, the top circuits but they were great days they really were no they were i mean that said i'm sure you've seen it paul is that we're getting some pretty incredible kit in our G- uh Carsicum gt championship uh, yeah yeah some some quick stuff and stuff that would have been GT3. british gt yeah. only a few years ago yeah yeah fantastic it is, and we thank all of you guys that bring those cars. We all want you back. We mm. want those cars there because it is just an incredible show. Uh, one of our very own, Will De Claudio, maybe we could do a live stream for race days. Listen, we want to. We want to do it, whether it's audio at the very least, but frankly is that we uh, we need to be having, uh, you know, if anybody's got technical know-how and if anybody's got sponsorship to be able to make it work. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, oh, it's, I think oh, we mentioned this before. <laughs> Yeah, it's the it's the and uh, Paul, you you probably you know you probably know better than I do. I mean, the cost of it. Yeah, it, it's it it's tough. It, it can be done. Huge to do it, it properly. And like I said when we when we got the team. Oops, sorry, Paul. We got uh, technical yeah. issues there. So you carry yeah. on with what you're saying, Paul. Um, it's fantastic if you can do it, but yeah, it's it's not a cheap enterprise. And because of a race circuit, you really want to have cameras at every corner. So yeah. that's a lot of infrastructure, but fantastic thing to aim for, certainly. Well, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean to say we don't necessarily ignore the the the, the potential for doing audio coverage of it with TSL. It's not the same, but I do thoroughly enjoy sort of bringing it to life as much as I possibly can. Um, and you know, but even that isn't the sort of a, a job of a moment, and at no cost, there is a cost associated to that. So, if you as drivers want that and spectate, let us know, and we'll see yeah. if we can do it. The, I don't, I'm not yeah, the, the racing, the bottom line, the racing club would have, to, yeah, the racing club would have to fund it, and I just don't think anyone's in a, you know, the circuit wouldn't be able to fund it, and I think the racing, I can't see the racing club could afford to either. I'll plant a, an idea because I can say it because uh, I can pull pins and throw grenades because I'm on the periphery. Is that the idea of instead of uh, admission is that we have a you know a subscription that they're they're paying for the for the fee? There you go, Tom, and you hate me for saying that, but I did it anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, David Campion, how about a virtual race series? We're doing things like that at the minute, David, uh, and uh, and it's still growing. I'm commentating on more and more, and I'm being asked to do various bits. And in fact, it's even starting to get uh, get uh, offered uh, paid for some of this, which is good. They are Paul. That's something you could do. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> dinosaur department over here. I've got a ten-year-old who, who'd be mad for it, but it's it doesn't. I don't know. There's something about the experience of motorsport is about the noise, the spectacle, the smell, yeah. the, the being, and and yeah. historics particularly. You know, you get some wonderful noises, and that's what does it for me. I'm 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 not a gamer, but I appreciate an awful lot of people are, and great. You know, if you can do stuff like that, brilliant. But it's just. It's not my thing. You're not alone. This one right here has been saying <laughs> exactly the same thing as that. What I have established um, is that I uh, have realized that it's not about trying to find a replacement. It's that we don't, we're not doing anything and it's treated it as its own thing and it is entertaining. Yeah. I commented last night on the sim race and it is just so much fun in its own right. But if you're trying to create it as a replacement, then you fall flat on your face. The people that are making success are they're just going, no, it is what it is. Um, but thank you, David. Good, good comment. Who knows what we'll do? A, a very good friend of mine um, works full time for one of the major motorsport game manufacturers, and he will spend all day doing it, checking minute detail. The level of effort that goes into getting those games right is it, it, it staggers me. The, the, the work they do to get it right is incredible, but it's just absolutely it's not for me. No, no, I understand. Um, uh, I like this one. Chris Mason, can we have a 70th anniversary gin, please? Love it, Chris. Great idea. I'm up on board with that one. Hey, Tom, that's down to you, mate. Go do the one. Yeah, I'll go make some. I'm going uh, to briefly some comments, yeah. Put this one up, Nick Workman, but I'm going to have to remove it so that we're not covering up our guest. Uh, I recall being on uh, on my own on a track or test day at, at Tower Infield Post. I think we had a round of the National Formula 4 Championship that coming weekend. A certain Ayrton de Silva span and stalled in middle of the track. I was waving yellow flag in right hand and had the post phone in my left hand giving details to control. When call was finished and had been told session was stopped or red flagged, I went to Ayrton and explained I was going to push start him on my own. I needed to wait. Now, does it show me at all? No, we lose the end of that one. Um, push start him on my own. I waited for the strop, but none. I'm not sure what else you say there, but what an amazing... <laughs> that's why you love this stuff, isn't it, Paul? Fantastic. The, the, the Fantastic. Story. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Um... It would have been 81 in Formula Ford or 82 in Formula Ford 2000. Those were his two real main years in the UK before he then shot straight up towards F1 and um, won an amazing character. Um, and he's one of those things, I don't know about you, I remember where I was when I heard the news that he died. And it was yeah. it was May the 1st. It was a few days ago. Um, and I was at Silverstone, funnily enough. Um, and I remember um, Jan Magnussen, who was the Danish F3 racer then, father of Kevin now. But Jan... Um, I saw, saw Jan in the paddock and he said to me, have you heard, is it true? And he, like most of the young guys in F3 at that point, could not believe that Senna had died. They just thought he was he, he was, you know, never going to hurt himself in a race car. And it was an incredible day for the sport. Yeah, yeah huge, huge talent. One of the most poignant um, drawings or paintings, I'm not sure which one it ever, uh, which it was that I've ever seen was the uh, the damaged Senna Formula One Williams car with Senna walking away from it. Have you seen mm. that? And you're mm. going, that's what we all wish had happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it is just an emotional. I remember it. I was away with my parents uh, at uh, Butlins in Minehead, ironically. I don't, yeah. Not ironically, yeah. weirdly. We were there and um, watched it with my dad, as would always be the case as a youngster. And I was watching the race and it happened. And you just knew, didn't you? you just, something wasn't right. 
Mm-hmm. Glued to the news. Glued. I was sat out in the car. We were there in uh, in a caravan, and we towed a caravan. They used to have a campsite at the Butlins as well, and uh, sat out in the car, and then went in and went, Dad, he's died, and mm-hmm. me and my dad cracked. It was that yeah. big. Yeah, it was. It was. It's the same for older people. Um, Jim Clark has the same same impact. When the day Jim Clark died in 1968, oh, but yeah, um, but yeah, Senna had raced at and won. I think he'd won at Castle. I think there's a picture somewhere of him winning the Formula Four 2000 race. On, he's at the podium at the start line. I was yeah. about to say he was born yeah. in the 2000s rather than the 1600s, wasn't he? Certainly at Coombe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Remarkable. Great memory from. Um, uh, from was it Nick that uh, wrote in about that? That's that's one of those you treasure, isn't it? Really, a moment like that. It was, yeah. That was uh, Nick Workman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Still, it goes on. Clive Green has said, I think it was the V16 that Ken Wharton drove. The H16 <laughs> was used a bit later by Lotus in the 43. You guys are absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim some knowledge here. Clive Green knows his stuff. Um, one of the mates that I used to marshal with, and Clive's right, and the H16 did go in the Lotus, and I think they had one Grand Prix win, but Clive will probably correct me if I'm wrong. They won the US Grand Prix. Um, that was about the only time it ever lasted a race, I think. So, yeah, well done, Clive. You're on the case. <laughs> I'm uh, loved, that's what we love. Tom and I, we've talked about this uh, time and time again. Yeah. It's not just about in the show, watching you guys banter. No, no, it's brilliant. And that, that carries on here. We had Andy Abrams making a comment a minute ago, which has prompted Nick Workman to go, Andy Abrams, my God. Hello, Andy. And uh, Lynn Hoy has also said, yes, Andy Abrams is alive. <laughs> It's it's brilliant to see you guys having all of this. Um, uh, Chris Mason sort of remembering he had a Mark One Escort, it got scrapped. Uh, and everyone, yeah. tragic, tra- tra- tragic, tragic, tragic. Andy Abrams dug out a program from the last time oh. I raced at Stets on October 14th, 15th, 2000. Race chat by Paul Lawrence. There you go. Oh, my goodness. Oh, only, oh. only only 20 years ago, I was I was a mere child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, start now, <laughs> Andy. What, tell us. Uh, the name's familiar, Andy, but I can't remember what you were racing. So let us know what you were racing in. Certainly in uh, in his image there. What's that? That's a Mark One Escort. I think he's got there by the looks of it. I can just make Mark out. It's a two, possibly. Two. Yeah, it's a bit smaller on my phone. But um, oh yeah, who yeah. isn't it? The square one, isn't it? Yeah, sorry. Goodness me. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of drivel about the place somewhere if you look deep enough. Certainly. <laughs> uh, Papa Parr, Chris Parr is saying uh, Matt Parr, his son, who's one of the saloon car championship uh, racers, has just asked whether it means he has to stay two meters away from other competitors on track. Not a chance. <laughs> we insist you don't. <laughs> uh, dear, Love dear. it. Um, let's have a look. I always have to, just so you know, Paul, is that I always try to read ahead where I can to make sure we don't get in too much trouble. I think we're okay with this one. Our very no, ex, no ex-wife's. No. <laughs> no, nothing that's going to get us. It's before no. the watershed, don't forget. Exactly. Yeah. Well, do you think we're worried about this? We got Steve Parrish on Sunday. He was definitely worried about that one. Yeah, um, you should you should be yeah, exactly but it'd be great uh, value it'd be very entertaining he will exactly uh our very own rob jones there's a tremendous two and three wheel at coombe all the greats have rode the circuit such as hellwood sheen uh jeff duke john surtees and many more some have went uh, have gone on to become world champions and it's absolutely right i mean i know i asked the question we're not going to go into detail that it's not your speciality mm. but i think we're all acutely aware that we've had some two wheel heroes at our circuit haven't we Oh yeah, some 
there you are, some some fantastic names and some fantastic racing as well. So yeah, all, all credit to them. Some of them then moved across to four, but some just made the name on two. Um, that actually. Very early on, we mentioned the late great Rodney Gooch, who was was a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, and I know we're we're before the watershed, but Rodney, I remember I was sat in Rodney's office one day, and he was saying they'd had um, an event there with some old old commercial vehicles, and he'd seen an old Ford Thames van um, in the park, and it got him all dewy eyed and misty eyed because it was in one of the, the back of one of those, and he'd had his first major encounter with a with a young lady and he, he was always very very dewy eyed at the mention of a Thames van. There, Paul. That was brilliant. And I had I'd never heard that story. That is brilliant. Uh I love as well the fact that uh following on from the Marshalls keeping two meters, Lynn Hoyer said Marshalls will be okay keeping to the two meter rule. A pork pie can have that effect. But once there's an incident it'll be the last thing on their minds and we know it. It's very very true. Uh, let's have yeah. a look. Uh, David Vass, our very own David Vass. Paul, I love your books and Motorsport News features, but the interview you did with Graham White about the death of Jim Clark 40 years on moved me to tears. Wow. Thank you, David. That's, you don't often get feedback like that, but it is is greatly appreciated. Yeah, um, just very briefly, but uh, Graham White, a, a lovely guy who used to run the Historic Sports Car Club, but has now, has now stepped into retirement. Um, he was quite a good friend of Jim Clark, and he had breakfast with Jim Clark on the day that Jim died at Hockenheim because Graham was there organising the Formula 2 races. So he really was there, and, and we spoke at great length about the whole experience. And it was, yeah, it was very, very moving. Mm-hmm. Um, David's, like me, is quite an old, old, well, he's, a lot, he's actually he's a lot older than me, but... Um, Remembering Jim Clark, who died, you know, uh, what over fifty years ago, it's uh, it, it's pretty special, yeah. And I think everybody was moved by the death of Jim Clark because, like Senna, everybody thought he was he was the, the last one who would ever hurt himself in a race car. Um, yeah. I remember dear old Wizzo Barry Williams once said to me that the day Jim Clark died, it all changed because we all knew that if mm. if it could happen to him, it could happen to any of the rest of us muppets easily. So yeah, special time. Interesting. There's a name as well that sadly missed Wizzo, isn't he? He's, uh... That's another book I wrote. Well, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, he was that <laughs> character. But Jim Clark, I was going to say, is that there's another one that absolutely he was another invincible. And, of course, from my memory, wasn't that a race that he probably didn't really need to be doing either? It was a, it was a, a, a relatively lowly F2 race. No, he didn't need to be there. He was doing it for Colin Chapman. And, um, yeah, terrible, terrible loss. It really, really was. Uh, and picking up on that one as well, of course, and uh, uh, is that the photo that we did as the as the cover photo of this had sort of like extra bits on it, so we didn't show it, but I think on the website it showed it, was that you were sort of leaning forward and, and, and with uh, Sir Sterling Moss. What oh, a yeah. Loss. yeah. I know it was in a different way, and he's kind of had his, but it still was a big loss, a big gentleman of the sport. I think that the thing that always amazed me and impressed me about Sterling I mean, his his mainstream F1 career ended in 1962 when he crashed at Goodwood. And yet, 50, 60 years later, he was still one of the world's most best-known racing drivers. Yeah. You know, uh, his, his fame, his character, his personality just seemed to endure. And yeah, a, a great loss, albeit age 90, he, he'd been in a degree of ill health for a little while, but still a huge loss. And what a character. And someone that Harrod always used to um, 
uh, used to get along very, very well with. I think they did some some lecturing on cruises, which sounds like an excuse for a big a big drink, to be honest. But yeah. um, um, lecturing, <clears throat> or lecturing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, but yeah, just what a hero! We're greatly missed. Greatly, will be greatly missed. I know that is one that we uh, take great pride in associated with Castle Coombe because, of course, he did. He raced with with, with good success there, and, and we do have great pride. Oh, we've lost Tom uh, with his internet. Oh, he's he's gone, yeah. He'll yeah. be back shortly. That's fine. We'll get him back in again. Um, and, and I'll be honest and say, on the day that he passed, we obviously was a Sunday and we had uh, um, a show. I can't remember who I guess was at the time. Oh, it was the it was the Prebbles. We had uh, Adam and Gary Preble, of course, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. But I opened the show with um, a memorial sort of monologue, really, uh, about it. And I struggled not to cry. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Later. And I wasn't there when he was in his heyday, and yet he affected generations of people. Yeah, he did. He, he left a huge mark on, on the world and, and the sport. And um, what an amazing character. Um, he just... I don't know, he just exuded everything that was good about sportsmanship and competition. You know, back in his day, he was he was a great sportsman and he didn't win at all costs. He won fair and square if he did, but he was a he was a sport a proper sporting gentleman. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, picking up on some of these because I know I've got other bits that I want to pick up. Some amazing facts about you, Paul, that I, I, I have to get onto. But let's pick up on some of these comments before we miss them. I know, tough, tough. You're not getting away without them, Paul. Um, uh, Chris Parr, uh, Papa Parr has said, uh, as a fellow mature gentleman, <laughs> uh, how do you all feel about electric motorsport? I know it's the future, but for me personally, it leaves me stone cold. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I recognise, you know, the sport needs to move, the sport needs to evolve to survive, and all these things. It just does absolutely nothing for me at all. I'm afraid. Ironically, my ten year old lad is of exactly the same view, and he's really? only ten. Oh. Yeah, but I think I think I might have influenced him a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't get enthused about it. I, I dearly hope, and sort of going off a slight tangent, that the world can come up with um, an alternative to petrol that is um, a green fuel. And I, and I know a lot of research is going on at the moment. So I'm, I'm hopeful in due course, we might have an alternative that will keep the internal combustion engine alive to see me out at least. It's intriguing because Formula E for me, I've, I, I, it turned me cold to start with, but I find it really enthralling now. And it's the same as I said about the sim racing earlier, is it if we could have it as, in addition to, then I mm. think you have its place and we can enjoy the entertainment in its own right because they're doing some incredible things with it. If it was to replace what we know and love, I think they're going to be lynched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I am a fossil in these terms. I'm not a fossil fuel, but I am a fossil in these terms. And, and for me, it's all about the noise, the spectacle, the atmosphere, and the electric stuff... It's it's great, and I recognise the sport has has to do it. It has to be the way the sport goes at the top end. But hopefully, at grassroots and in historics, we can uh, we can keep on playing with noisy petrol engines for a bit longer yet. I mean, the analysis I, I will go with is that the the hell that broke out when the Formula One cars what was it now? Probably what four years? I've lost track now. When they were suddenly really quiet, because mm. I was making a joke mm. going 
that we used to love it when uh, Nigel Greensall bought the the Tyrrell Formula One car oh. out, and it was just phenomenal. But I say that yeah. I'll never see it again because it's too loud. And then I jokingly say, actually, we could probably get modern Formula One cars here again. But all hell broke loose, but it's gone away. People aren't making an issue out of it anymore. No, no. The, the, the sport is changing, and it, it has to change. Um, and I, that's another reason why I, I've sort of migrated into historics. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's what I know. It's what I love. Um, but the sport needs to move forward. It needs to bring in new enthusiasts, alternative ways of powering the cars. Um, so all good luck to them. But I just, it won't be for me. No, I get that, and 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 you know, no, I think in in life that you should never try to be all to all men, as they say, uh, and that that's absolutely fine. And I like your attitude about that, Paul. Is that you're not saying it's rubbish; you're just going not for me. Yeah, I like, it's rubbish. Yeah, I like. You can say it's fine. No, right. you. you do. <laughs> oh, did I just say that? Uh, here's the answer, uh, Andy Abrams. You said you recognise him. Oh, uh, Mark from Classic Thunder. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, got that. Uh, I think I, like I think it's very small, but I think that's the um, the 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 uh, cover pick he's got on his on his Facebook. That looks like a Mark II Classic Thundercar to me. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh, Clive Green has said, "Paul, you know more than you're making out, mate. You're spot on with forty <laughs> Yeah, doing? but but what Clive is is a bit of a Lotus uh, Lotus guru, so I, I will bow to his knowledge on when it comes to lo things of Lotus, certainly. He's, but he's giving you the kudos there. You got it right. Again, <laughs> has said, Paul, the Wizzo book is an absolute gem, a great read. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. It was, it was one of those books that was a real adventure to do. It was great fun to do it. Um, we had to leave a lot out to keep him out of court and to keep me out of court as well, but it was, it was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> what, what a character and another great loss another and another guy who was a great friend of the martians too we should point out as well was it barry wizzo williams a legend uh oh thank you for this comment by the way tim perry has said an awesome memorial uh this was about uh, uh sterling moss spoken by a true pro dorsey uh i would recommend anyone to go and watch that episode thanks tim i appreciate that and that was the the prebles which blah, 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 off the top of my head i think episode five possibly i can't remember but go and have a look because uh, they are all there on the facebook page um mike morris has said uh, do you remember ron fry and his ford gt40 yes um I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say i, I do um <laughs> <laughs> you're going back now to middle 60s ron fry was a was a garage owner from bath great character i didn't ever meet him but i watched him race and he'd always have a nice, expensive sports car and, and a saloon mm. car. And I first remember when there was a Ferrari 275 LM, which is inevitably an all-time favourite car. And then he moved to GT40, which is another all-time favourite car. Won many, many races at Castle Coulomb, yeah. Um, mm. quite, a, quite a personality. And had, I think he had an Angley as well. But he used to have a transporter and brought both cars to every race meet and to race them both. Um, so, yeah, just about. I was very, very young, I hasten to add. Very young. <laughs> absolutely i was going to suggest that myself um right paul going back to your your comments you've written half a dozen motorsport books and still gonna grow um on hold at the moment the, the problem with books if i'm brutally honest unless you're jk rowling or jilly cooper it's very hard to make any money out of a book so they've got to be a labor of love um and if you look to the hourly rate and the return you'd never do it so um nothing at the moment no uh, maybe well, that, never say never but not at the moment does include two on cars 
of Howard Strawford, but I love this part, and I know you cringe when I said I was going to do it. Rough count. You've been to 1,500 race meetings, watched over 200,000 races, and spent around 2,500 days at motorsport across all disciplines, which works out to the equivalent of every day for nearly seven years. And yet, I'll say that you're married to Nikki with 10-year-old son, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Still, even after all that. <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I know. I, I have a charmed life, I really do, yeah. It, the stats are quite scary, but um, what I'm pleased is I still have the same enthusiasm for it. I still love the sport, and I still miss it greatly at the moment. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a charmed life, really. No, I get that, and I think uh, so does everybody that's been on here tonight. I just think that's a fabulous way to uh, to wrap this one up, unless there's anything else you want to share with us, Paul. No, thanks for being on board and, and say. Coombe, it's a wonderful place. Long may it prosper. Well done to everybody there who worked so hard to make such a, a glorious Thanks, venue. Great race meetings. Um, if not before, I will be down for the Autumn Classic. Can't wait. And hopefully by the Autumn Classic, things will be a little bit more towards normal yeah. than they are now. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Eh? We'll, we'll cross that yeah, path. No, no. Just as also added, I remember Ron Fry at Coombe in the GT40 being kept <laughs> honest by Richard Longman in the Cooper S at Coombe in a Formula Libra race. Wow, that's that's I'm impressed by that. Very impressive, Chris. I'm impressed, Papa Pa. I must be honest, I'm impressed. You do watch, uh, Tim Perry, uh, as I'd expect, uh, many of them now saying thanks, Paul. Been awesome to listen to your stories. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, and we do thank you so much for joining us, Paul. We yeah, appreciate you, Paul. it. Um, and uh, and and do stay safe, and we look forward to seeing you back there. I'm going to put you in the green room. Don't disappear, Paul. You'll be off the show, but we're just going to wrap okay. up and then we'll chat Super. off air afterwards. But everybody, this has been Paul Lawrence. Thank you, sir, and stay safe. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. So we'll just pop that down there. Uh, Tom, uh, you wanted to say again about the, uh, the Thanks, Paul. Awesome show, wasn't it? Apart from your internet. <laughs> I don't know whether Tom can even yes, hear. Yes, yes, please. Head on, head on. Chris, my internet. I've got, I've got a hamster in a wheel that's having a heart attack. Honestly, this is this is ridiculous now. Um, yeah, please club together and buy buy Tom buy Tom some decent internet. Um, that's going to be put that up at the bottom. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. What's going on? But uh, no. Um, the key thing is, is that we wanted to say, go to the Castle Coombe Facebook page. Uh, the pinned post at the top is there is an opportunity to win a 70th um, uh, shirt, a 70th anniversary shirt at the moment. Uh, thank you to everybody saying great show. Sunday, we do have Steve Parrish on as well. Uh, we have no bleep machine, so we have no idea how we're going to get away with this one, but it's going to be a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, really. Really looking forward to um, just talking to Steve. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with Steve uh, twice now and interviewing him twice, uh, maybe three times actually. And I think you've worked with him as well. And he is absolutely, I mean, the stories, we, the time limit on that, we'll have to set a time limit because we'll be there till following Sunday. He's just such an immense character. He is. He, he really is. Yeah. I've hosted uh, an awards do. Great character. Um, really funny. Just a great guy. Just a great guy. Yeah, sorry, Tom, we lost you briefly there. But um, no, absolutely. So we'll uh, we'll see him there. I've hosted an awards do with him. He's a great guy. Uh, thank you all for joining us. And we'll see you at uh, 7 p.m. on Sunday. And so I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, remove us uh, from this and just uh, put up on the back here our sponsors. So from myself and Tom, 
Have a very good rest of the evening and keep yourself safe and see you very soon. See you Sunday.